bulletin, you'll see that today is Faith Day at the Rockies. If you're going to Faith Day, let me see you raise your hands. Wow, that's a good chunk. I think we have like 103 going. If uh, you would like to go and uh, you weren't responsible to get your, I shouldn't say it that way. (laughs) You you would like to go and uh, maybe your schedule has freed up, but we have three that I know of, three extra tickets. So uh, come see me afterwards. You'll have to be very fast because I'm gone in 15 minutes after the service to get down to Denver. So if you want to go see me afterwards, we're going to have a great time. Okay, this week, uh, this past week, I attended, Nancy and I did, uh, a talk out at Red Tail Ranch owned by Bill and Lori Bolthouse. I know some of you were there, and uh, the topic of the discussion was culture care. I love that imagery. I just love that imagery. We have creation care that's appeared on the scene for a while now, and that has to do with how do we care as humans? We've been given the responsibility to exercise dominion well, and if I understand the Old Testament correctly, to serve, not worship, understand the difference, but to serve creation by taking care of it. Then we have soul care. How many of you are counselors out here? Let me see, raise your hands. I do some type of soul care in a professional capacity. I see the hands coming up, okay. So we have people that, pastors, counselors, friends, um, many of you have been involved in a non-professional capacity of helping people with brokenness and with hurt, with woundedness. We all carry something, don't we? Every one of you has a story. Every time I have coffee, I hear an incredible story. It's amazing. And we have people that specialize in that. And we have the idea of culture care. And I love that language. It captures the kind of the heart of what I think the church should be about. And we've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament. And um, when Israel... Uh, When God finally spread Israel around the world, kicked them out of the land because uh, their leadership and the majority of the people had rebelled against him, they all went to different places. They just went to different places around the world. And what did God say to them? He said, seek the welfare of the city where I'm sending you. That's care. That's culture care. How do we as a church care for our own culture right here? Isn't that a good term, culture care? To capture what we're about as a church? I just love that. It just, it it resonates with all of the the principles in Scripture. When when Jesus sent uh, the Great Commission, what we refer to as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, just before he left, remember what he said? Go and make what? Disciples. We have, for quite some time, narrowed that idea down to uh, converts. It's a lot bigger word than that. The word discipleship, the noun disciple, disappears halfway through Acts. But the verb, the idea, continues on. And what is he thinking there? He wants people to be interested. He wants people to be inquisitive to know about this one true God. Our responsibility is to continue to show love to the world around us, to continue to, yes, bring Christ to the nations. I don't flinch on that at all. I absolutely agree with that. But what does that look like? Sometimes it starts with caring with our own group, our own people. You guys, you know what's going on around the world. You know about the theater shootings, the all the division and the turmoil that's being created by 
the Supreme Court decision, all that stuff. And, and we're, we're a country that's divided and it seems to be getting worse to me. So I'd like to stop just for a moment and pray for our own country and for our county. We can make a great impact here by practicing culture care, caring for our own culture. Father, Lord, I'm not going to pretend to get involved in what goes on in the Supreme Court and the government. I will vote my conscience because you've given me the chance to do that. But Lord, that's your domain. All I know is that I, I continue to feel this tension as I read news reports and listen to blog posts and all of that. Um, Father, help us as a church. I'm talking about a national church. Help us to learn what it means to practice care for our own culture. Lord, to really move in out with, with uh, intentionality, with strength, Lord, to love our people here well. And help us as DCC in Summit County. God, we desire to to see our own county not be divided, but to experience good things that you meant for us. Help us, Lord. You are wise. You are all-powerful. You know what we need. So I pray that you would guide us and help us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We've been in a series, um, The Engaging God. We named it that because uh, we want to present God especially as you see him in the Old Testament, as a God who engages with us. He lives with us. He's involved in everything that we do. He's, he wants to see us love people. He wants to be known. That's why he revealed himself. So in the last two or three weeks, we've looked at a couple of names. Remember, we looked at uh, I, uh, um, Isaac back in Genesis 18, a God who remembers his promises. And uh, Isaac was named, he laughs, because God surprised everybody. And Sarah had, I mean, uh, um, who's his mom? Sarah, I was right. All the education in the world doesn't help you when you get older. That's what that, that's an illustration for you, okay? <laughs> uh to be young again. Right, so she gets, she gets pregnant, has a child, and she's well past childbearing years, and so they named their son Isaac. He laughs. And then last week we looked at, at uh, Exodus 3. What's in a name? Who is this God? And he gave his name to Moses, and he said, my name is I Am. And we looked at what does that mean? Today we're going to look at a God who redeems, and what does that mean? But in order to set the stage, we have to go back to Exodus chapter 2. And I want you to see another name. You know, what the authors decided to record is always telling. What they record and what they don't tell. What they don't put down in print. So well, I'm going to read you this story out of Exodus 2 about the birth of Moses. And what you're going to hope what you'll see is that nobody is named except one person. This is important. Only one. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide it, and by the way, the reason why she hid him for three months is because the order, the state order, was to kill all the Israelites. Okay? Kill them. Kill them at birth, and if they survive, kill them if they don't let them reach two, the boys. So that was the state program to, uh, to make sure that Israel did not grow any bigger than it already was. So when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him 
and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So you got this little three-month-old baby sitting in this little basket floating in the reeds, and you've got the sister way over here just kind of keeping track of things to see what's going to happen. Then the Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Uh, just for the record, she didn't have to take a bath. She had a very elaborate bath. She was very wealthy. This is a ritual, a religious ritual. She was one of the goddesses. So she's going down to practice a religious ritual. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies. Now, how on earth did she know that? I'll let you figure that out. It's one of the Hebrew babies. What do the Hebrew babies, males, what do they do to Hebrew males that they don't do to Egyptian males? She knew who it was. Now, the state order was to kill this. Kill this baby. Moms, could you have done that? That was the order. Apparently, she couldn't either. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. Then the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Now, the moment she starts paying, he becomes protected under the state. Okay? So we're watching God at work here. We're seeing something very cool start to happen. It gets better. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. All right, he's the only one mentioned in the story. This is significant that he's only mentioned. And you also have this play on words occurring that's, that I need to explain it to you. So forgive me if I'm just a little bit technical, but it's important. She named him Moses. Okay, the Egyptian language is different than the Hebrew language. In the Egyptian language, the consonants, what we know as M-S, Moses, that was a term in the Egyptian language that referred to somebody of royal birth, somebody of importance. So she names him a name that in Egypt they would have understand he was important. It kind of covered up his Hebrew genealogy. But more than that, she named him Moses because the same consonants, M-S in Hebrew, what we think of as M-S, the consonants, it means... Um, one who is drawn out. One who is drawn out because she got him right out of the water. Drew him right out of the water. Okay? And why did she do that? And here's the third occurrence, the verb. She named it that because I drew him out of the water. So you have the verb, you have the name, and then you have the Egyptian equivalent of somebody with a royal birth. This is, this is a, a play on words in Scripture. What do we know about Moses? He's going to... You know the story, draw the people of God out of Israel. This is further supported when you go back and the word for uh, she got a papyrus basket. That word is the same word that's used to, uh, uh, for Noah's ark. It's only used twice in the Hebrew scriptures and it's used there and it's used here. So we have a picture of this little baby who's named, uh, he's going to draw out, he's in an ark or a basket what happened in the flood, the story of the flood. God protected the people that pursued him and loved him, Noah and his family. He protected them through a horrible flood. So Moses has a similar responsibility. That's the background. He's the only one named. Then you go to chapter 6, 
And I believe this lays the foundation for the rest of the story that we live today. It explains all of the rest of the Old Testament and explains the way we think of Christianity today. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Moses has just said at the end of chapter 5, Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, have you brought this trouble, this trouble on this people? Okay, now in case you don't know the story, he went to Pharaoh and said, I want to uh, take my people out into the desert so that they can worship the tr- their God. And Moses said, not only no, but absolutely not. In fact, we're going to take away all the straw. You have to do the same, produce the same quota of bricks with no straw. He made life really hard. I know how to shut these Israelites up. We're just going to make it miserable for them. So Moses comes back and says, Why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me to become a laughingstock, basically? These people hate me, basically, because I made their life harder. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought nothing but trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. I mean, that's a pretty bold conversation Moses had with God. Where the heck are you? What are you doing? You're just making it worse. Get your act together. The Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. He will drive them out. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. And here this Lord is all caps. This one true living God who we talked about last week when he said, what is your name? My name is Yahweh. I am. That's captured in your English Bibles with L-O-R-D, all caps. So I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, all caps, I did not make myself known to them. I also did not, uh, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. We serve a God who doesn't forget. He remembers. He remembers. I've heard the groaning. When you groan before the Lord, he hears it. You can have confidence. He hears it. Now, he doesn't always answer very quickly. I get that. But it doesn't mean that he's not listening. He's very attentive to your hurts. He's very attentive to when you are abused and mistreated. He's very attentive to all of that. That's the model all the way through. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. There it is again, all caps. I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. So the first thing we learned is that he hears you. He hears what's going on. And here's the second one. I'm going to free you. That's what we think of about salvation. That's what salvation means, rescue. I'm going to rescue you. Their gods will not be able to stop me from doing this. In fact, there's nothing in the created universe that can stop me from freeing you. The ten plagues of Egypt, every one of those plagues was an indictment against one of the Egyptian gods. It was our God showing a fake God, a false God, how powerful he is. He was demonstrating to the people, I am truly God. I am the one true God, and I will redeem you. 
I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. What does redeem mean? Redemption. Often we just take it right to the cross. That's right. The cross is a center of redemption. I have no problem with that. But it's a far bigger term than that. As long as we just limit it to the cross, then we lose some of the image of what's behind this. Think of redemption this way. Somebody is in trouble, and, and they can't get themselves out of it. Maybe like financial debt. Somebody comes along like a relative, and they pay their debt, and they rescue them. That's redemption. That's the Old Testament concept of redemption all the way through. I'm going to redeem you. You are in trouble. You are in slavery. You are under harsh taskmasters, and I'm going to get you out of this mess. But he doesn't stop there. I will take you as my own people. What a wonderful thing. It is an honor to be called a child of God. Don't ever be ashamed to tell somebody you're a Christian. Let them roll the eyes. It's okay. In fact, take advantage of it when they roll the eyes. Some of you have heard my stories. I know because I get fed back to me. I love it when I tell people I'm a pastor. I say, what do you do? I work at so-and-so. What do you do? I'm a pastor at Dillon Community Church. They go the eye roll. I love that. You know what I do when that happens? I saw that. So what? I saw that. Now, what happened where you and I, we live in the same world, we have the same data available to us, and yet somehow you wish I wasn't here talking to you because I'm a pastor? How would that happen? What's your story to get you to the place where you don't, you're not comfortable that I'm a pastor or a Christian? It's a, you just ask them that question, and you'll be astounded at what you hear. You'll be astounded. Don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Don't be afraid to tell people about Jesus. They don't know who he is. They don't. I will make you my people. We have a common community. Why? Why does he want to make us his people? Remember the story? Here's God. He creates all these nations, different ethnic groups, and he chooses one to reach the rest. He chooses one to reach the rest. I will make you my people. Later on, he's going to tell them so that you will share with a broken world that I care about them, that I love them. That's culture care, friends. That is what that's for. So that's the next thing. I will take you as my people. And then he says, I will be your God. I will be your God. You have a true living God. You have a God you can trust, you can depend on. Just because he doesn't answer your prayers as quickly as you want doesn't mean he doesn't care. He does. He is very engaged in your life. He listens, he hears, he knows when it's the right time to step in and rescue you, but he also knows when it's the right time to stand back and let you struggle a little bit. That's what all pa- every good parent does with a child. You know when to rescue them, don't you? But you also have, you gain a sense of when to let them go through it on their own. Sometimes it's good for them to learn some lessons. That's where they learn the value of family. So just because God doesn't step in and answer your prayer as fast as you want, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, all caps. I am the one true God. You will know that who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. How many times has he said that? I am Yahweh. I know what you need. 
I'm going to give you the land. You know what that's a symbol for? The good life. Later on, he calls it land flowing with milk and honey. Talking about those are metaphors of all the space for all the animals. The uh, honey is talking about a settled agriculture. This is a good life. I'm going to watch over you. Pretty soon he's going to say, I want you to take every Sabbath off and rest. I will protect you during that time. Then he's going to say, I want you to come to the temple three times a year and dance and celebrate all the good things I've done. And I will watch over all of your flocks while you're gone. The message is the same all the way through. We have a God who cares. And he really is very interested in blessing us. And sometimes that blessing comes through hard times. I get that. I've been there. I share that journey with you. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. Don't give up on him because he's quiet. Don't give up on him because he's testing your faith. I said last week, and by the way, thanks for the feedback from several of you, that it's easy to think of God, things are going well, right? He's kind of leaving me alone right now, and I'm enjoying life. When's that other shoe going to drop, right? It will drop. Don't think of it that way. Think of it as, I wonder when the next time the Lord is going to take my faith to a new level. He will do that. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will redeem. I will keep pulling you out of the messes that you can't get yourself out of. And I'll do it in a way that reveals to you my goodness. By the way, that's my prayer for you. I pray that all the time. That he would show himself to you in strong ways. New ways, refreshing ways throughout life. That he continues that process to draw you out. To draw you out to more mature faith and walk. You have nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of. We serve the one true living God. Father, thank you. Thanks for sending us your son. Lord, thanks that uh, all the way back in these very ancient stories, even then, we find that you care and that you're willing to do what is right, what is honorable, and you're willing to do what is in our best interest. Lord, as I read this story of the Bible, I just am astounded over and over again how you put us first. And Lord, we are, we puzzle over that. Because we know our own brokenness. We live with it. Every day, we see it. And yet you love us so much that you don't give up. You remember your promises. You don't forget us. Help us, Lord, to be a people that, uh, that honors you with our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen.